I like Natalie Portman, and I also like Julianne Moore, and I also was like very impressed with the the guy, like whatever his fucking name is. I just didn't like the tone of that movie. Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklib. I'm Amanda Luberto. And today we're doing another movie swap of a couple of crime and lying movies. I watched Memento for the first time. And Mando, what did you watch? I watched Sicario. There's a lot of things that these movies have in common that we'll talk to them. But really top tier filmmakers, top tier performances. We're opening up 2024. Some heavy hitters. Happy New Year to all our Blind Spotters listeners. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. But before we get to... Our movies and maybe some resolutions. Amanda, how are you? What have you been watching? I'm good. Things are good. Memento was my first movie of 2024. <laughs> so started nice. off with a rewatch, but all good. We will have just talked about our 2023 best of. So I don't want to give away like a ton of what I've been watching, but some other ones that we may or may not talk about. So I watched All of Us Strangers, the Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott movie. Beautiful. It's a very internal performance. I don't want to give much away, but it's, you know, incredibly beautiful. On a very, very, very different note. (laughs) I tried to like, I watched a lot of Christmas like reruns. Like that's sort of like what Christmas is about is like rewatching movies that you love. But somehow I had never watched all of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So we sat down. We watched it as a family. Obviously, just a great movie. Bonafide so, classic. So funny. And then on my TV bullshit, I've been watching a lot of stuff. But the only one I want to talk about right now, because I think the next one I want to talk about will be done by the time we do our next episode. But I recently started watching House. Just never watched it when it was on TV. It's extremely Amanda shit. It's very procedural. It's very like 2000s workplace drama, true crime, puzzle-y. Went through season one in a matter of a few days. It rips. Show's great. Everyone was right. Look at that. <laughs> House, one of the biggest TV shows of like the mid-2000s. Who knew? Literally of the 21st Shout century. out to Omar Epps. Yeah, I know. Blind Spotter's fave. Blind Spotter's alumni. All right, Zach, how are you? How was your holiday? What have you been watching? I'm good. I've been loving being like mostly offline other than on Letterboxd logging my films and trying to desperately catch up with the 2023 slate. I'm sure you'll hear about all of that. Or I guess you, maybe you've heard it already if you are a dedicated listener and have listened to our best of podcast with our good friend Maya. But we're recording this before that, so we are re- really doing some veteran podcaster shit, recording episodes out of order. But Movies I have been watching, I've watched Remember the Night, which is a 1940 Christmassy movie with Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray, which is fine. It's cute enough. I always love watching a Barbara Stanwyck Christmas movie, by which I mean I love Christmas in Connecticut. I also, speaking of Christmas, watched Carol, which is Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, directed by Todd Haynes. And very lovely movie. I wish Rooney Mara was in more things, but hopefully we'll get her in... I don't know, some more movies in the next few years. Uh, Just a very pleasant person to watch on screen. And then the last movie I watched was Blast of Silence. It was in like that Christmas holiday noir collection that Criterion had in December. Uh, 1961 film, like black and white, 
voiceover kind of playing a riff on like those 40 noirs very cynical and like sour taste to it while watching it's not the best movie to watch while you try to string up christmas lights on your tree (laughs) but if you are kind of more of a pessimistic holiday person then it might be your jive but that's the movies we've been watching let's talk about the movies we're swapping i watch memento you watch sicario i feel like you're like a little bit more unsure about the crime aspects but i feel like these movies are like very much a crime movie so i'm excited to see sort of like what your apprehensions are about them but i think two directors of a similar generation obviously nolan has about 10 years on denis as far as like big blockbustery films but both of these are earlier additions into their filmography but i also think they're just like two very beautiful and crazy films so i'm excited that we got to put them together i think more than crime they just feel like grimy movies like i feel just dirty but even though like like, obviously illegal things are yeah illegal things are happening let's uh flip a coin and talk more about it um and dive into these movies so why don't you pick a side and we'll see what we're swapping all right i'm gonna pick tails and Amanda starts 2024 on the good. She got a W. Nice. She gets the pick. What movie were we oh, talking about first? Gosh. Sucker, because I didn't want to pick either. <laughs> I know. I don't want to pick. Let's do Memento first. All right. Let's do it. Zach, I think one of the most important lessons is that you shouldn't shake Polaroid photos. That's not actually how it works. I was thinking about that immediately. Me too, buddy. <laughs> All right. Tell us what happened in Christopher Nolan's sort of second film, but one of his big breakout films, Memento. Okay. Memento, which is a film that was directed by Christopher Nolan, also written by Christopher Nolan, based on the short story Memento Mori by his brother, Jonathan Nolan, came out in 2000. This movie's structure is fucked up. So forgive me if I got any of these details confused. All right, so this movie is told in like two timelines. One is in the past moving forward, and those scenes are shown in black and white. And then the other is in like reverse order, but like they're showing you scenes in color, and then they'll end where the previous color scene began. Got that? Me neither. Okay. So with that in mind, we are following a man named Leonard, who is played by Guy Pierce. He wants revenge on the man who murdered his wife, but the problem is... When he was also attacked that fateful night, he lost the ability to form short-term memories. To combat this, he has tattooed himself with critical facts, such as what he knows about the killer, and he also leaves himself notes on Polaroids that he has taken of important locations or people. So, with that in mind, the film opens with him killing who he believes is the killer of his wife, named John G., but the guy he killed named John G. is going by the name Teddy, and that man is played by Joey Pantoliano. On the Polaroid he has of Teddy, Leonard writes that he cannot trust his lies. So when we're learning about what Teddy's name is, we aren't sure who this guy is. Anyway, as we learn more about Leonard's pursuit of Teddy, a.k.a. John G., the facts become blurrier as we soon realize he is being manipulated by multiple parties, including a woman named Natalie, who is played by Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, she is someone who Leonard believes is helping him because she also lost someone, according to this note he scribbled on a Polaroid of her. In actuality, Natalie is the ex-girlfriend of a person that Leonard killed under Teddy's instruction. Then Leonard put on her ex's clothes and like is driving his car. 
Natalie, upon learning of Leonard's short-term memory condition, uses it to her advantage so as to get rid of a man who's giving her problems named Dodd. It's a very harrowing scene when she like figures that out and starts to manipulate him, but Leonard can't do anything about it because he can't remember. At some other point in the timeline that I couldn't really pinpoint, Leonard kills a man named Jimmy, who he believes is John G., but then Jimmy whispers Sammy to Leonard, which freaks him out because Sammy refers to Sammy Jenkins, whose name is tattooed on Leonard and whose story he tells to like anybody he knows. But he doesn't know Jimmy, so why would Jimmy know Sammy? Also, Sammy is a person who uh, had this short-term memory loss condition, and that's why Leonard talks to people about him. Teddy then reveals that Sammy, who killed his wife after giving her too much insulin, is actually Leonard. And he has been using Leonard as like an assassin since Leonard doesn't really remember killing the actual John G like a year ago. And Teddy is like an undercover cop and he's like using Leonard as this assassinating pawn. Leonard, not believing Teddy and like maybe he's frustrated or whatever, then writes down Teddy's license plate and the aforementioned distrustful note so as to make himself believe that Teddy is actually John G whenever he forgets this conversation and then so he can kill him. I think the film then ends with Leonard going to a tattoo shop to get Teddy's license plate tattooed on himself so that he remembers that he needs to pursue this license plate so he can go kill John G, who is actually Teddy. But it doesn't really matter that he's lying to himself because he can't remember anyway. And then and then the movie ends. Truly, (laughs) how did I do? (laughs) I think you did all right. I think if someone hasn't watched the movie, they might have a hard time following it. But I think that's fair. I think if someone watched the movie, they'd have a hard time following it. We're going to talk about that. Um, (laughs) No, I think that it's good. I think that the movie starts at the end, basically, and it uncovers clues as we go on, but it leaves you with a sense of confusion the way Leonard is also confused. Yes. And you're like figuring things out in reverse order. I think that's like the best way to explain it. Yeah. And so giving a plot summary is very difficult because then. Absolutely. And also you find out like he's being manipulated by Teddy, by Natalie, by himself. He's manipulating himself into being an assassin by writing down the license plate number at the end, even though he knows that guy's not the right guy and, and all that kind of stuff. So he's also being manipulated by the guy who owns the hotel to buy more than one room at a time. And he's also really good, apparently, at stick and poke tattoos. So he was ahead of his time. Absolutely. So with that all in mind, why did you pick this movie? I think it's just an early Amanda is a cinephile movie classic. This was definitely a movie I saw screenshots of on Tumblr and then sought out very, very early, probably without even knowing like who Christopher Nolan was or why he mattered. I was just like, this movie looks crazy and I'd like to see it. Yeah, this movie has always been on the periphery for me. Like, I remember even in high school, probably after Inception coming out, one of my media teachers was like, if you thought Inception was good, you should watch Memento. It's this crazy narrative, blah, blah, blah. So it's always been one of those very film bro-y type of movies. And so I was excited to watch it. All right. So what were your first impressions and what stood out to you the first viewing? I was like, oh, God, this is going to be confusing. And it was, but in a way that was purposeful, that, like you said, puts you into Leonard's shoes and that kind of drove the mystery narrative force of the film forward. I never thought it like it was too gimmicky, which is a testament to the execution, I think, of the reverse chronological presentation of the film. and. The ability to build tension 
within that was really impressive because like you think oh we're ending with him killing the person he was looking for that's cool i guess like i guess we're gonna find out how we got there but it actually Mm -hmm. takes a lot more twists and turns than um you initially think yeah i think if you just go with the obvious path of this guy is trying to kill somebody to seek revenge but he has a memory problem that alone is like a very interesting premise for a film but nolan adds his little twinge in it which makes it i just think like 15 times better he is really good at taking things to the next level yeah and we'll talk about the pros and cons of a christopher nolan movie but i do think Mm -hmm. um a nolan strength and maybe his strongest attribute is the way his films are cut um oh yeah and the way it builds like whatever narrative power that he needs to use in a film or for that story and it is kind of almost a conventional story once you get past the format because it's a noir and a noir in which our lead character opens up a world that he actually knows less about than he thinks he does but instead of it's the main character opening that up it's like for the viewer themselves being like oh i know what's going on oh i actually don't oh no meanwhile your main character has no clue what the fuck is happening because he forgot what was happening 15 minutes ago so it's kind of a fun like metatextual way to tell a story as well the other thing that stood out is the noir vibes neo-noir it's you know gritty it's in there's parts in black and white there's a narration it's in los angeles it kind of dives into those seedier sides of los angeles where there's like anonymous glass shops or tire shops and you're like what's actually going on in there or who are these people actually who knows there it's all los angeles it's all spread out everybody spends too much time in cars and like nobody cares about anybody else is it based in Los Angeles? His license plate says Nevada. It was filmed in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. I always just assumed it was like early 2000s Vegas that isn't oh. the strip part of Vegas. There are also like areas, and we'll, we'll actually talk about this later. There are areas of Southern California, Las Vegas, and Phoenix that all sort of look exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like vague strip mall. I don't think it's ever like revealed where it actually is, but I just assumed that it was Los Angeles, actually. And then I was like, was this in L.A.? And then it was filmed, yeah. at least there. That makes but, sense, though. And there's one scene in particular where I thought about this, but with the narration that Guy Pierce gives, it's pretty funny. And so it made me think of The Killer, David Fincher's film from this year. Totally. Um, because it is this ambling, kind of wandering narration versus like telling you what's actually going on. And it's the most unreliable narrator yeah he can't even rely on himself yeah um like you see leonard be like oh i don't feel that drunk i don't know why i have this bottle of whiskey in my hands and then you see one scene later shows that he actually just grabbed that bottle as a weapon Mm -hmm. to use later but he didn't leave himself a note so like he doesn't remember so it's it's very fun and kind of a puzzle box type of thing that we know the Nolans love. I think it's really interesting to compare it to The Killer. As I was watching Memento for, I don't know, probably my third or fourth time for this rewatch, it reminded me a lot of both Oppenheimer and Tenet, two other movies of Christopher Nolan's, A, using black and white versus color to show two lines of a story and then where they converge, and then also Tenet, you know, doing things in reverse sort of and mm-hmm. not being able to tell what's going on. But those are Christopher Nolan's two most recent films. And for his very first, I mean, he had the following, which is like a 70-ish minute movie. But like this is his first big hit movie to have those 
remnants, it just shows to me like Nolan came out of the gate pretty fully formed around the same time that Paul Thomas Anderson was coming out. Obviously, David Fincher was coming out with movies and that kind of stuff. And I think that Fincher like had definitely a a taste of what a Fincher film would be. But I definitely think he like grows up and matures and has like a very, you can tell Fight Club versus Gone Girl is like a more mature director. And it's just really interesting and so cool that like Nolan's first big film could have been anyone's. I've been making films for 25 years and this is the best thing I came up with. And I just think like he deserves a lot of kudos for that. All right. What has stood out to you most? And like, what have you been like ruminating over since you finished watching? Generally, like whether I understand what actually happened. That is Um, my number one question. What I wrote down was, do you understand what happened in this movie? (laughs) and, And in summarizing the plot, I'm pretty sure I got it. Because some of the reveals happen late in the movie, it's like less of a twist and more just revealing. It upends itself and like the reality you thought was concrete is actually very liquid. Like Natalie is not actually trying to help Leonard or Teddy maybe actually is trying to help Leonard. I kept getting the names Lenny and Teddy confused because they rhyme and also because Teddy kept aggressively saying Lenny. My brain couldn't compute for whatever reason, but I finally like I eventually like, you know, disretained it. So Teddy calls him Lenny, and then he's always quick to be like, no, it's Leonard. My wife used to call me Lenny. Do you think he uses this as like a tactic to like just confuse an already confused guy right off the bat and to think like, oh, we like know each other well? I know like a nickname for you. I think it's both the playing off the familiarity and also to check if he's forgotten him yet. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, only because if he has been working with him for at least a year and was on his case before then, like uh, he knows the Sammy Jenkins tale that Leonard tells. And and one of the details in the Sammy Jenkins thing is that how Sammy would like fake know someone to play it off. That was crazy. Then also like, is Sammy real? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But it's at least like a detail within Leonard's mind of like, oh, I'll just fake pretend to be familiar with everybody I meet just in case, which is something I do at like family reunions. Oh, I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you or like the Tiger Woods meme that's been going around. Like, what's up, big bro? What's up, boss? Yeah, for sure. Big that's do- a big, oh, one. big dog. What's big up, big dog? dog? <laughs> yeah. Do that one a lot. Yeah. Um, This My is guy. so obnoxiously pompous, but like. Something I've realized by like being involved locally in a lot of things where people will remember you and recognize you and then you see them again later. I'm like, I do not know where I know you from. Like it could be one of a hundred things. Yeah. But I had literally somebody the other day at the bar and they were like, are you Amanda Luberto? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so I've never seen you in my life. And I was like, I am. What's up? And they're like, this is a weird question. But are you on Valley 101? And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know you. But also that's super weird. <laughs> Not weird that you are addressing this. I think that's very, very sweet. Thank you so much for listening. It's weird that people would know that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 
those I, thousands yeah. of listeners every week are fake, right? Like there's those are just numbers I see. It just goes on into the end, like the periphery and floats off yeah. into the nether those regions. Like, those are like people whose lives I'm impacting. <laughs> no, not at real. all. They're just <laughs> no, no, you're not delivering information to their ears. Subscribe to Value 101 and the Gaggle wherever you get your podcasts. Please uh, do. It's gonna be a great year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the uh wildest things to get my hands around was the was was the natalie character um and part of it is because carrie ann moss is really awesome in this film like she is sick and sickening and what she's doing is like evil um yeah. but also impressive because like again in these noir films like you have the femme fatales or whatever you have the person you should trust that you shouldn't um that turns on them uh but the wild part is like watching the central character not know that he's being turned on while it's happening because of his condition. And he'll tell you, you know, as quickly as possible that he has a condition. It was like, was she helping Leonard? Was she using him? I think using him more than helping. Like, I don't think she was helping him at all, but the scene where she like just goes off on him, uh, is like so viscerally nasty and haunting. And then like how she like hides all the pens. So she, he can't write a note down to like ground himself in reality. That's the scariest part of the whole movie when she hides <laughs> the pens. Terrifying. Like, to be completely honest. It shows you how how weak uh, Leonard is as like a person in the world and how at the mercy he is of the people around him. Um, and like you said, like he's getting manipulated by everybody. He's getting manipulated by the discount in guy um, yeah. to buy two rooms. Bert. Put respect on his name. <laughs> Bert. Shout out Bert. <laughs> and... And just the fact that everybody's like really cool with telling him the truth to his face because they know he'll forget. When I was watching it this time, I had forgotten that Bert like had sold him the two rooms. And as like their first talking, I was like, man, if I was Bert and I was owning this like shitty motel, I'd sell this boy every single room. <laughs> I was like, how does he not know he's getting paid $40 a day, like six times a day? Like that he has no idea. How would you remember <laughs> how much money you're spending? Yeah. Is this, I guess, cash? I don't know, but I don't um, know. but I did think about it, and then like later, he's like, "Oh, wait, I sold." This is a sec. Whoops, so sorry. <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I love that he's like, "I get it. like, <laughs> I can't blame you." <laughs> no, but that scene, because when you're watching at first, you're like, "Oh, maybe they're friends, maybe they're lovers," like because she knows about the tattoos, and like maybe she's trying to help him. Like, oh, what an empathetic character, and like when she is. When she comes into the room and she has no bruises on her face and she's instigating him. I don't know if it was obvious to you, but it was obvious to me on this rewatch. I was like, oh, she's like trying to say nasty things, whether she believes it or not, to like try to get him to hit her. Like I can see like what game she's playing. But like Mm -hmm. as soon as he hits her, like you see like the gear in her head turn to be like, I I fucking got you. You loser weasel. I win now. And it's like, that's the part where you're like, Ugh, no. Yeah. And like beyond the fact of like the spitting into the, the cup of beer and then giving it to him. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is deranged. It's more funny than what she does later. I guess that's true. <laughs> I only it's guess. weird. It's like a very funny, like, how would you be able to tell if someone's telling the truth, make yeah. them do something gross? Yeah, and totally. like that's like a good way to do it. Uh, the other thing I've thought about the most is Christopher Nolan, just in general. Like you said, uh, not his first film, but his first kind of breakout 
type of hit. Um, and just the Christopher Nolan project as a whole. Um, all of his BS, the good and the bad. Every great filmmaker has their tics, has their bad habits, has their good habits, has their obsessions. Um, so Christopher Nolan, obviously, there's you know the manipulation of time. There's um, the incredibly watchable and blockbuster movie making and prestige movie making. And he kind of is at the apex of prestige and blockbuster um, in the last decade and a half, I guess. And also like dead wife stories. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I mean, this is the groundwork, baby, for dead ability wife or inability story. to like actualize a woman um, in his scripts um, outside of the construct of like the relationship to a guy. But like all of it is kind of here um, and all of it continues to grow and 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 manifest itself as he continued to grow and, and grow as a filmmaker. It's like not like a like a Fableman's type of keystone. To, to his films um but it is like a genesis of all these traits mm-hmm. that's kind of how i felt watching mean streets this past year for the first yeah, time yeah totally where it's like ah i see like where this is beginning and like i see how you're gonna grow on this later and like you got your people you got your your sort of your music hits your things like that like the you know similar to like knowing that there's gonna be a dead wife and a time can like a time change basically in a Nolan film, you know that like certain things are going to come in a, uh, in any of them, like any of the big auteurs. Um, but for this, uh, conversation, Martin Scorsese, um, in my example, but it is, uh, definitely like, a not a blueprint, but you're like, Oh, I see where this is the foundation for the rest of it. Yeah. It's a skeleton. It's the rookie season. It's like, whatever. I think of reservoir dogs as another one. Um, oh that's like, a really good watch reservoir too, yeah. dog and it kind of lays out like what quentin tarantino wants to pursue as a filmmaker it's almost like a mission statement in a way yeah i see nolan as a filmmaker who f- like leans toward form over function um in a way like he leans and is most interested into how he is going to tell a story more so than the story itself like Dunkirk, instead of just being a regular war story, is three timelines working at different paces over the course of like a hundred minutes. Or mm-hmm. Tenant with literally people moving backwards through a story, but forwards because the past is now the future. Like there's always some conceit that makes it a little bit more difficult for both himself and the viewer. And he has I, I think he's always successful in like conveying either confusion purposefully or like uh putting those roadblocks and like laying out the rules. I think interstellar is maybe like where things go a little overboard with that part. It's just a trait where it's like, in spite of that, you are still great. Yeah. And like Oppenheimer, in spite of like the Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh characters, though they are like well-performed, that movie is still great despite that or despite. Oh yeah. Like that could be like the knife in the back of any other film and any other filmmaker, but he's just so good at everything else. It's always the editing and the way he structures a film and like tells a story through that and still creates energy throughout the story within these like roadblocks he puts in front of himself. That's always impressive. He just cares about movies, dude. I like watching movie makers who give a shit about movies make movies. Like that's <laughs> well, yeah, just like, like so meaningful to me. He's just sort of like an elite problem solver. Um, yeah. Even if he might not be like the best storyteller in, in movies. I think I just have all these expectations and like uh, like not requirements, but like 
scales I'm grading him on because he is literally like one of the signature filmmakers of the last two decades. Of course. It's one of those things where like there's certain people where their worst films are better than most people's entire Or just even like the scopes of stories he's telling. He's telling major comic book stories, major war stories, major blockbusters. So I don't put the same expectations or like qualifications onto like a Noah Baumbach movie. Though I love Noah Baumbach with everything in me, like I don't expect him or I don't like anticipate to think about all these things. Yeah. But I think that's also what I was trying to say in the beginning. Like he very easily could make a noir film. He could make a heist film. He could make a comic book movie film. He could make a a historical biopic. Like, he could do any of that, but like that's not interesting to him. He wants to like, and he could do it, and it could be like probably the best movie that came out all year. Like he's an extremely good filmmaker, but he's like, yeah, but I, that's boring. Um, I want to challenge myself. I want to challenge the audience. I want to make the. I want to take it a step higher, and I just, I respect that. And also, like they're, we'll talk about this later, but they're also like still popcorn cinema movies. Like, that's so cool. Well, now that we've hashed if Christopher Nolan makes is good. <laughs> He's good. He just has problems. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, What was the first thing you looked up about the movie after you finished? I needed to know how they wrote this and yeah. why they wrote this and all that. Um, idea. So as the lore goes, uh, he and his brother Jonathan um, were driving, I think, from Chicago to L.A. or D.C. to L.A. And Jonathan pitched it um, as an idea and then christopher nolan was like cool uh write it jonathan wrote it while he was at georgetown um wrote the short story and then christopher nolan adapted that um there's some differences in the short story and the film um that we can get into the gritty of if we want to but um generally once they brought that to the screenwriting process christopher nolan came up with the structure um there's like some graphs online that like show you i've heard how the movie is presented and like at what point they come at a head and and then when the black and white turns into the color um toward the latter half of the movie um i think the black and white sequences going forward were alphabetized and then the reversed scenes were um numbered and i also know there's like on the dvd and i think it's still somewhere online like vimeo or youtube or something you can watch like a chronological cut of the film um i don't know if that's as, like i'm not as interested in that because like it, it's the way the story is told or whatever but uh man what a exercise in filmmaking <laughs> yeah i totally agree all right what else um i looked up guy pierce because i'm like not hyper familiar with him he's just like one of those dudes that's like just in movies and stuff that i've seen but like isn't this like big name he has a distinctive name like guy pierce i'm like that sounds like a, a dude in entertainment um where have i seen him and honestly he wasn't in as much as i thought as i had seen personally like unfortunately i i was familiar with him because of iron man 3 he plays the villain aldrich killian uh, <laughs> forgot about that <laughs> he, he <yeah>. does <laughs> i keep circling an iron man 3 rewatch and then i like remember how it all goes down and i just can't get there even though i do like shane black movies it's not good. He was in LA Confidential a few years before this. Um, and his performance kind of got swept under the rug behind like um he who should not be named and then Russell Crowe and also Kim Basinger. But it never really popped off for him for some reason. I, I don't really know why. Maybe he like I just was like, did something happen to him? Did he- not everybody can be a movie star, I guess. 
but within the guy Pierce research i was like trying to find out how he got chosen to be cast and it turns out this movie was originally supposed to star brad pitt that's why guy pierce looks like brad pitt in this movie <laughs> like, that was another thing i was thinking about when i was watching i was like oh yeah 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 that's <laughs> that's a guy pretending to be brad pitt <laughs> pretending to be a different guy <laughs> <laughs> well what's funny is like like sometimes when we like see these recasts uh, or like these potential castings, it doesn't make sense. Like somebody takes it uh, so singularly and then you're just like, this is their movie. But mm-hmm. this is a film that I can really see Brad Pitt, especially Brad, like 2000s Brad Pitt doing um, like post Fight Club, mm-hmm. post like Meet Joe Black. And, you know, like this would have been such a cool notch on his belt. Like uh, he had you know, seven and fight club and memento all within like a five year span or whatever. Um, so it's a great, what if, um, I think the movie is just as good, like all respect to guy Pierce, but like, again, this isn't like a only guy Pierce could have given this performance type of performance. Yeah. If in 2000, he had snatch and memento, that'd be sick. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If honestly, if he went from fight club and Fincher to memento and Nolan, that would be rad as hell. But yeah, so Guy Pierce. I mean, he's still in stuff. Uh, I haven't seen Mayor of Easttown. I know you have. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he good was, in it. But uh, he seems like just one of those guys that's good in what he does, um, and seems pleasant enough. Yeah. So, uh, but I agree. It, like he didn't have the career you might assume he would have after L.A. Confidential and then Memento. All right. What was your favorite scene of the movie? Am I chasing this guy? Oh, no. Is he chasing me? Oh, he's chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's so um, good. Like, I didn't expect to laugh at all during this movie. And there's plenty of laugh lines and there's plenty of humorous ways you can take this premise to. So um, I appreciated that. And that's also the scenario in which reminded me of the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, yeah. like, he's narrating and he's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. No, I have a better understanding of what's going on now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. so that that was entertaining. Do you have a favorite scene? Um I think that I mean that's like definitely Yeah, I think that's super up there. Um I also really like as we discussed the uh the the part where Natalie turns and you're like, "Oh, mm, yeah. Oh, the, you are not who we thought you were either." Like this is you are vile. You're in a totally different world than what we were thinking. Um, I think that's like a just a really good turn in like halfway through the movie. All right. Do you have any final questions about this film? Naturally, so many. First, <laughs> uh, do you think Leonard is lying about his own condition? Like he questioned Sammy whether or not Sammy's real, but like there was like a, a scenario in which they were trying to prove that Sammy's short term memory condition was actually just like so deeply faked that he believed his own can like uh creation of that condition mm-hmm. so do you think leonard is doing the same thing where like teddy's like we, we all make up reality so we can live i don't because i think like he interacts with too many people in too many specific circumstances that he would have like messed up right like he would have slipped yeah he slipped is the word i was looking for thank you yeah I think he would have slipped. Where like Sammy is just like a dude at home, like yeah. maybe like probably doesn't have a job, but 
But like Leonard like interacts with like a bunch of different people all the time. He's like very like goal mission oriented, obviously, uh, things like that. I think like he would have like given, you know, that instead of like a glimmer of recognition for like a person, like a glimmer of like, oh, I like can't trust what you're telling me right now because I know like you're a bad person. Do we think Sammy is real? I do, but I don't think. I don't think Sammy is the person who poisoned his wife. I think that Leonard is the person that poisoned his wife. And like that part of it's true. But I think that they had like the same condition. But the like story started to like melt together. Like they say about the best lies. It's like a kernel of truth. Totally. Okay. Here's another question. How does Leonard remember he has short term memory loss? Okay. So I was thinking about this ever since you put it in. Um, I think that. He probably has like memories of he has memories of the accident and he has all the tattoos. One of them has got to be like you can't you and also like he wakes shit. up and he's like, I have no idea where I am. But the right. last thing I remember is like getting smashed in the head and then watching my wife, you know, quote unquote die. Right. I think he just kind of like puts two and two together. Okay. Um that's my thought. That's fair. Uh, okay, here's one. So because like the you know this is a noir and like perspective is so important in this film. If they reframed the telling of the story into another character's point of view, whose perspective outside of Leonard's would you most be interested in watching the f- film kind of unfold from? Okay, two answers. Um, one is a joke, and one is more serious. Um, absolutely, Bert. Bert, number one. <laughs> I just want to know, like, he, he's just, like, in a workplace, like. You want to you want to see what Bert's got going on at home? Yeah, but also, like, Bert's like, all right, I guess I got to, like, talk to this fucking guy again and, like, hear about fucking Sammy Jenkins and, like, now this other <laughs> dude's coming in and he have no idea he's playing him. And, like, you know, also a family of three needs a motel room. Like, I don't know. I just think it would be funny. Um, but the other, the real answer is Jimmy, the drug dealing boyfriend that gets killed. And oh. then is like, it says Sammy, like, I want to know, like, what's that story? Like, how does he know mm. Leonard? How does he know Sammy? Like, what, yeah. what's happening right there? And like, you wouldn't get the backstory. You wouldn't get like the rest of it where, you know, he, he gets played. But like the pre, like what's happening? That's a. I think that's would be good. That's very fun. I like that. I would like to see it from Teddy's point of view, like Teddy yeah. coming onto the case, totally, and then seeing him broken and seeing him, you know, his memory loss, helping himself like find John G, and then seeing that still not come to fruition, and then like the next year play out, and then like you get the twist of him killing Teddy. Um, yeah, as well. at the end. Um, you might lose the Natalie portion of the story if you see it through Teddy, but um, maybe but not. I don't, maybe you I just don't know because remember he's like, you can't trust that woman. Like she's oh, playing yeah. you. Like you have no idea what she's doing to you. Like why are you still oh, yeah. in this guy's car? Like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's fun to think about. All right. Um, last question. Uh, sorry to do this, but do you have Nolan rankings like a top five? I, I do. Um. Good. So I uh, wrote them down. Um, okay. Uh, why don't you go over yours first and then we can do mine. Okay. Five to one. I have Tenet at five, Dunkirk at four, Oppenheimer at three, The Dark Knight at two, and Inception at one. 
What about Amazing. you? Amazing. Okay. Five, I have Memento. Four, I have Inception. Three, I have Oppenheimer. Two, I have Dark Knight. One, I have Interstellar. Prestige. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think that might be one of, like, there's a lot of signature things of, like, these are the difference between Amanda and Zach, and, and Interstellar could be one of those. I love that movie so much. <laughs> You're much more of a space girly. Yeah. I mean, as well. Totally. I subscribe um, to like space is none of our business. Oh, space is my deepest business right after the ocean, which I understand is also a thing that other people are like, don't need to know about that. I just, I like, I don't know. Is this like a lame take? <laughs> no, it's like the most popular and like, I think his highest rated movie on Letterboxd too. I got really swept away in it. And I just remember watching, I've never seen it in a theater, which I'm just like holding my breath counting down the seconds until i can find it in a theater but i would love to um but i mean the prestige is like another movie i love like the prestige is not good but it's also great like i (laughs) nolan's like bona fide most popular like the dark knight inception oppenheimer if you just look at box office but then like you said like or like you're saying like there's the ones that are a little bit more divisive that people still like ride or die for or don't at all like you could debate the prestige with someone who loves and hates the prestige. You can do that with Interstellar. Um, you can do that with The Dark Knight Rises because I know there's a Dark Knight Rises hive too. And I almost, instead of Memento, I almost put Batman Begins, which I think is criminally underrated. Right, exactly. I think that movie rips. I, I will say this. A lot of my favorite or at least most memorable theater experiences are Christopher Nolan films. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm excited. See, this is like why I'm excited to also talk about Denis Villeneuve. Mm, and Sicario, because yeah. I feel very similarly, and I can't wait to talk more about how they're connected in my brain. Um, cool. Okay. Um, let so let's roll through uh, these next last parts. Um, do you have any le- lasting comments or questions? Number one, have to call out the dead wife is played by Georgia Fox, who plays Sarah Seidel on CSI. Also, I thought it was interesting that his tattoos are all in different fonts. <laughs> it's very silly. <laughs> And like, how does he decide which font? And then I also just needed to call myself out that his tattoos remind me of my sticky notes. Um, I currently have seven sticky notes on my desk. You know, I'm a sticky notes gal. Would you watch this movie again? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm, I might need to give it some time and be like, oh, yeah, Memento. What do I think of that film? Yeah, it was a good one to watch that I hadn't seen in like at least 10 years. Um, If people liked this movie, or at least were interested in it, what other movies should they watch? Number one, Predestination. It's a movie I found last year that is also like timey-wimey. You're trying to solve a mystery. What is going on? And like the very end, I was like, holy shit. I cannot believe that that is what's going on. Sarah Snook is in it. Um, She is amazing. It just is really fun. Is it like the best movie I've ever seen in my entire life? No, but like, is it a very fun, like, what's going on? I'm trying to figure this out movie. And then it happens and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so cool. I love a puzzle box. Um, Mystic River is one of the only Clint Eastwood movies that I love. <laughs> I just, like, <laughs> like you mean Clint Eastwood directed movies? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I just okay, like okay. don't think he makes movies for me, which is totally fine. They don't yeah, need to fair. all be for me. Um, but this is very much like an I'm taking uh, justice into my own hands type film. Um, very moody. 
Um, and then one that is so crazy bizarre on Netflix right now after it was like one of the hardest movies to find in all of forever. They recently put it on Netflix. Um, Old Boy, which is a 2002 Korean film. I don't suggest watching the American version. Um, 2003. 2003. Oh, man. Off the top of my dome, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, But Neon acquired it this year and like refurbished it so that they could release it. Um, I saw it in theaters. It was my first time seeing it. Holy cow, twisty turny, but also like revenge and like trying to figure out what's going on. And it's just really interesting. So one of the most fucked up movies I've ever seen. Absolutely. Um, and now <laughs> you can just watch it on Netflix. Beautiful list. Love the variety and love how, you know, the major releases, international. Yeah. Smaller. I hope Ethan you watch Hawk. Predestination, Zach. I think you'll like it. It's I cool. just saw that Ethan Hawke is in it. So like I'm already in. Yeah. I also love Ethan Hawke. Sorry, Maya. Famously, not a fan of Ethan Hawke. Oh, I thought you were saying sorry to Maya Hawke. No, no, no. <laughs> I would say anything to Maya Hawke if she gave me the opportunity, to be completely honest. But That's very fair. God. Maya Hawke's building a sick filmography. All right, let's move on to our next movie. <laughs> All right, let's do it. We're going on to Sicario. Amanda, nothing will make sense to your American ears, and you will doubt everything that we do. But in the end, you will understand. You watch Sicario. What happened in this film? All right. So in Arizona, FBI agents (laughs) Kate and Reggie, played by Emily Blunt and Daniel Kaluuya, are raiding a drug house in which they find bodies in the walls. While at the house, an explosive trap goes off outside, killing members of their team. After this raid, Kate is suggested for a special ops like super team, basically, that the CIA is leading um, by Officer Matt. Don't remember Matt's last name, but he's played by Josh Brolin um, and ex-prosecutor, like ex-Mexican prosecutor turned CIA assassin, essentially, Alejandro, which is played by Benicio Del Toro. Their goal is to find and apprehend a drug lord named Manuel Diaz. The team travels to Juarez via El Paso to extradite Manuel's brother Guillermo as a tactic and are actually attacked by some low-level mobsters, basically, in a shootout in, like, a line of cars. We'll discuss more about that. Very tense. Um, Kate is not happy after this. She's very shook. She is just like, what have I gotten myself into? Alejandro goes and tortures Guillermo and finds out that there is an underground tunnel that is being used to smuggle drugs across the border. Around the same time, Kate confronts Matt and finds out that the real goal is to get to the head boss, Alarcon. Reggie joins the team around this time at Kate's demand. Team then raids a bank that is being used for the drug money, and Kate and Reggie are like, we got this done deal. I want to make a legal case against Diaz. We got this. And Matt says... You know, hold your horses, tell them to back down because they're going after the big guns. Don't get the small cheese, get the big stuff. Um, Kate meets a shitty Phoenix PD officer named Ted, played by John Bernthal, 
um, who tries to kill Kate because he's working for the cartel. Apropos of nothing, Alejandro sort of just shows up and stops this. Uh, Matt and Alejandro then beat the shit out of him and find out who else is a dirty cop. As the team preps to use the drug tunnel, Kate and Reggie find out that they're only being included because the CIA cannot work alone within the U.S. borders. Reggie is pissed that he's being used, and but Kate is sort of intrigued. She wants to find out more about this. She follows Alejandro into Mexico through the tunnel and watches him abduct a Sonoran officer. She tries to arrest him by, like, doing the right thing, but he shoots her in the Kevlar vest. He is not fucking around. Um, Kate then goes back over to the U.S. and confronts Matt, and he reveals that there's an even bigger game at play here than they even thought. They want to coerce the drug gangs into working with a single Colombian one that the U.S. can more easily control. I hope I got that part right. That's kind of what I understood. Alejandro was actually hired to murder Alarcón, which he does after killing his entire family. At the very end, Alejandro forces Kate to sign off that everything was totally legal. She tries to shoot him, but ultimately cannot do it. Um, that's the movie Sicario. That is the movie Sicario. Yes, correct. Good job. Thank you so much. Um, why did you choose this movie for me to watch? Uh, it's just one of the best most excellently made movies of the 2010s and i find it fun that like uh from denis villeneuve to taylor sheridan the writer to roger deakins the cinematographer to the actors Stacked. involved it's not i don't think it's anybody's number one best film but it's like everybody's third second or third best film like they're all came together and executed their jobs at like the highest level that they could have um even to johan johansson as the writing score, the score and, and and music for the film and also i knew you would enjoy the arizona angle to it thank you so much i did appreciate the arizona angle for it and on the uh 48th state what were some of your first impressions and what stood out to you on this initial watch of sicario um, so obviously Arizona was the first thing that stood out to me. Um, and it's so funny cause like as it's showing, I was like, wow, it kind of looks like Arizona, but I wasn't like really thinking much about it. I didn't know this was like a border film. Like I didn't really know anything about it. Um, and so I was like, well, it's like house looks like it could be in Arizona, but also could be in any desert city. Like, it could have been Nevada, could have been California. Like we were talking about earlier. Um, but the opening scene is takes place in Chandler, which is so funny to think that this is what they think Chandler looks like. Um, <laughs> because of our tax incentive situation that was discussed on the Arizona movie swap, the movie was not filmed in Arizona. It was filmed in Albuquerque, standing in for Arizona like it usually does. Um, they did film the scene at Luke Air Force Base, like actually at Luke, but just like the opening shot where they're like driving up to it. Anything else is not in Arizona because no one could make money making movies here for a long time. Yeah, it's one of the like million great movies that came out filmed in New Mexico in the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and then Taylor Sheridan said, I'm going to do everything here. Yep. And then <laughs> in did. Montana. Yep. Yeah. Um, the other like thing that stood out to me or my first impression is that I just really like Denis Villeneuve movies. Um. I think he picks really interesting stories to tell. I think he works with really interesting actors. Um, this is sort of my my idea where he's very similar to Nolan in a way where he does like huge movies, but with an artistic lens. 
Like, Dune could have just been, like, CGI mess blockbuster bullshit. (laughs) But instead, he's like, I'm going to make cinema. It just also happens to be about sandworms. Like, and that, like, doesn't slow him down or, like, doesn't minimize the, like, creativity and the art that he puts into his movie making. I just think that's awesome. Like, he made a Blade Runner sequel and it's gorgeous and, like, so interesting to look at and, like, all this kind of stuff. So I just think, like, they remind me sort of of each other. Obviously, as I said, there's a big gap in when they started making films but he's sort of one of my favorite guys to keep an eye on yeah Denis is obviously one of our favorite directors on the show he's one of the i think has emerged as one of the best working directors right now um and since coming to like making american films uh has kind of been a really cool like hired gun type of person like Mm -hmm. when they hired him to do dune i was like yes perfect yeah like uh, because safe. of Arrival, because of Blade Runner, like, and if it, the spectrum of like prestige to blockbusters are on like opposite ends of a spectrum, like Denis is slightly more on the prestige approach of making a film, whereas Christopher Nolan's like maybe right in the middle of blockbuster and and art house um, in the way they make films. And I love, I th- also enjoy Sicario as this point in his career because it's like the last literally grounded film he's made. Um, because then he went on to do like he's on his sci-fi shit right now and please release Dune Part 2 and let it be the best picture of 2025 or not Can't like wait. let it be like in the 10 best but it's funny to like this guy also makes Dune but like yeah. the prisoner's guy also makes Arrival um and they all feel like his kind of movie. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, similar to how I feel about Nolan like it you wouldn't think that like a Batman like a guy who made Batman movies should also make Right, a Robert yeah. J. Oppenheimer story, and they're both amazing. <laughs> yeah, and we see how, like, you know, we see now how so many filmmakers make like a smaller movie or get successful, and then get put into a machine, like an IP machine, and they kind of lose their whole grasp on like a project yeah, or their, whole control of it. Touch. Whereas Nolan and Denis, like, it's Dune is Dune, but it's also a Denis Villeneuve movie. Blade Runner Two is a Denis Villeneuve movie. Totally. Um, so I think that's very cool. What else stood out to you on first watch? Um, it just reminded me of No Country for Old Men as like the vibe. <laughs> um, yeah. Which Josh Brolin is also in. <laughs> it's not why it reminded me of it, but just sort of this uh, silent, deadly type in amongst a world of very deadly villains with the background of the desert. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say also filmed in New Mexico. Yeah, just tense as hell. I love that Josh Brolin went from this and it was like Thanos time. It is so bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Brolin is Thanos. Yeah. It, Honestly, it, it's yeah, more this... bonkers that Thanos is Josh Brolin. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> He's really working a lot that's... of Thanos. Like there's a lot of Thanos in his character in this film. <laughs> you know, he's sure. doing something for the greater good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might not be like morally correct, but like it's yeah. his vision. You know? Yeah. I mean, that Thanos. was that's what you took away from Sicario, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if if Graves finds the infinity stones, then the Colombian cartel will be back in control, which is what America wants, apparently. Yeah. I guess it is they're trying to collect all those stones so they can control. Rocks something. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Anyway, so other than uh, 
<laughs> the parallels to No Country to Old Men. That's for so old men. funny. So, <laughs> yeah, might, those are sort uh, of the things that have stuck out. <laughs> what have you thought about the most since watching? This is like my, the thing that's like been really ruminating with me the most is that this is a very interesting take on the border. Um, being a reporter in Arizona, I am, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, I am not a border reporter. There are people on our team in our newsroom that specifically handle border issues and rights and things that are going on down there. But working in Arizona in the news for a long time as you know, you know about the border. Um, I obviously know that this is fictitious because I am aware of what's happening at the border, but it's done in with like a grounding of reality in a way where like, I don't know if you're from like Iowa and you don't know much, like maybe you think this is how dangerous the border really is. And like in some ways the border is dangerous, but in other ways it's absolutely not. And it's like a very complicated situation. But um, it sort of reminded me of like Zodiac, where Zodiac is such a popular movie that people are like, oh, yeah, it's that one guy that is the Zodiac killer because that movie, even though it is like proven to not be. But it is like kind of clouds the way people take fact and fiction because it's so popular. And it just like really made me think a lot about how complex of an issue the border is um, and these border towns that are both wrought with um, drug violence, but also families. And I think that that was like so perfectly shown in the very last scene of the movie. I think that like really wrapped up a lot of how I was feeling like there are kids just like going to soccer practice and there are also machine guns in the background. And it's a really complicated situation. Yeah, the portrayal of like Mexico and and the border is very one note in this film. Like it's definitely um, to serve the purpose of the story. And hopefully, although people will probably take this as reflective of the region and countries, like not a direct correlation or or picture of um, a whole country. Totally. Any other country is like, you know, this is definitely made from like a dude from Canada and a dude from America. Um, And if you watch any Taylor Sheridan thing, uh, he'll just have these kinds of people in any parts of America, Uh, (laughs) whether it's Texas or um, Montana or what have you. It does capture this like very like visceral tension of like, we probably don't know all the things that it's going on um, in any scenario, especially when it comes to the American government. There's like definitely people who have seen The Wire and they're like, Baltimore is the most dangerous city in America. You know what else takes place in Baltimore? Hairspray. Like there's so much more than just like the dangerous underbelly of some of these cities. And like Chicago is no different. And like Juarez is no different. And like L.A. is no different. There's obviously like very dangerous and violent and horrible things going on in a lot of these cities. But there are also just like kids going to soccer practice. There are people who live amongst the danger just living their lives and it's not all like trying to get into like the drug kingpin's house to kill his whole family yeah and not everybody's just like a, a cia trained assassin um and 100%. that is such a cool like choice from filmmaking the screenwriting uh like to have 
the side story that like keeps getting you keep seeing the son and his father and like you, you kind of like why are we spending any time with this guy yeah with his family um and then by movies end you, you it, it all comes together like you said um so it's definitely a complex story to talk about a complex i mean that's just life yeah and i'm also glad that it wasn't like over oh, with this family so that like when he when alejandro like captures the officer we're not like oh he has a family like it's more than just like that one note it does like return to them again yeah and i mean for a multitude of reasons like this movie does paint alejandro and um josh brolin's character graver like as the real like evil satanic characters um even though they're like the quote-unquote good guys that we think of or something like that what else have you thought about Um, In my research, I found out that Emily Blunt's character was originally male, and they got sort of pushed to make it a female character, and I think that that adds to the movie a lot. Not only are you from Emily Blunt's perspective the whole movie, but she has a lot of the like most emotional scenes. Again, not saying that men cannot handle emotional scenes. Of course they can, but I think just like, you know... (laughs) adding a lady in here is nice and to have like her be really kick-ass and morally right but also doesn't like retreat the way Reggie does and like all this stuff it just she's really complex um but I was listening to some interviews that she did around the time and she said that she went into the character wanting to play it very gender neutral and was like never really thinking about like oh what is this person's like womanhood such a sick moment for uh Emily Blunt's career like this is the year after Edge of Tomorrow, uh, she has a weird filmography, but this is probably like a highlight of it for me. Yeah, just like general badass lady. Action movie star Emily Blunt is my favorite Emily Blunt, I think. Yeah, I like like action movie star without being sexualized. Like I feel like we've yeah. come so far from like Tomb Raider. <laughs> right off. even though she's drop dead gorgeous but like oh my god yeah, yeah. In edge of tomorrow <laughs> and sicario beautiful. in the quiet place movies like yeah she's not really portrayed in that type of way what were some of the first things that you looked up about this movie so the very first thing i looked up is i wanted to know if it was actually filmed in arizona just the one scene as stated above um but in my research i found some really interesting stuff i found that the night vision scenes when they're in the tunnel are actually filmed on like thermal vision cameras and were not like added in post-production which is crazy that Damn. is just like fucking deacons on his shit i, I was think gonna say roger so deacons i saw somebody write, write this about deacons they were like god said let there be light and deacon said wait for my cue oh. <laughs> like this is <laughs> such a beautifully shot movie like the scene where the sun has been set and nothing beats in Arizona or I guess New Mexico sunset. And <laughs> it's just the silhouettes of the soldiers like walking so toward good. the operation they're going to pull off. Um, so good. So sick. Yeah. So on that same note, both Del Toro and Brolin when offered originally both passed um, on the movie. But then once they found out Roger Deakins was going to be on board, they signed on to the film. <laughs> As they fucking should. Then, as always, I wanted to know about its Academy Awards, and I knew that this movie was, like, beloved. I just didn't know if, like, at the time it was appreciated. Um, This movie came out in 2015, for context, everybody. 
Um, but I did receive three nominations, did not win, but for best cinematography, um, for best original score, and for best sound editing. Yeah, just an excellently made movie. I fucking love this movie, dude. It is. It's really well made. And it's like exactly what I was trying to describe earlier. Like it is an artfully done blockbuster popcorn film. Like this is just like a crime thriller, but it is done as if it is art house. I need to see who the fuck won best cinematography over this film. <laughs> Please Hold tell on. us. Oh, nominees were Sicario, Mad Max Fury Road, oh. The Hateful Eight, Carol, and The Revenant. It was The Revenant, wasn't it? It was The Revenant. Fuck. I know, right? Like, <laughs> nobody feels good about it. The, the fact that Revenant goes over Mad Max and Sicario. God, Mad Max just, rips. <laughs> God. Anyway, speaking of uh, editing and score and cinematography, uh, they all come together to create some beautiful scenes. So what are your favorite scenes of this film? So there's a lot that I really liked, but I think the part where I was like holding my breath um, is when Alejandro Benicio del Toro is walking through the house and he confronts the family at the dinner table. I know you didn't watch this show, but there is a scene in Better Call Saul. Um, it's the season five finale that reminded me a lot of this. Yeah. Can we talk about Benicio del Toro in this movie? Sure. Let's do it. Alejandro is such a dope character, not only because, like, you know, he does cool stuff and assassinates a bunch of people and usually does, like, all the hell yeah brother stuff, but also in the way that he's just, like, utilized. Like, he's not even really introduced. Like, in the scene where they're walking up the plane to go to, quote unquote, El Paso, but actually Mexico, Brolin is just like, yeah, that's my guy, Alejandro. He's over here. And he's like, he just lurks on the shadows of this film for, like, an hour and 50 minutes and then becomes, like, the main character for the last act. He's so cool. He's like such an interesting movie star. That seems weird to say, but like he is like he's in fucking uh, Star Wars. He is. He is in The Last Jedi. Um, he plays the collector in the uh, MCU. <laughs> oh, that's right. He's just but, a dude who makes choices. <laughs> but he also like has won BAFTA awards and like was in traffic and he was also in fear and loathing in Las Vegas in a like character that I thought was so gross. I turned the movie off. <laughs> like, like there's just like so much going on with him that I think is amazing. He's a guy who I don't love every single time I see him, but I am intrigued. He shows up. I'm intrigued to see what he does and I hope I like it. You know what? Honestly, this is the real one. He's in my favorite part of the French Dispatch, a movie that oh, I am more mixed yeah. on than most other people. But I was like, oh, I could just like watch that snippet as like a whole film. I mean, very few people could very righteously say the line time to meet God and mm -hmm. it not become like an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie punchline. Yeah. And you're like, oh, um, I'm so scared. Yep, this is... Oh, that's Satan. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, do you have any other questions about this film? Have you seen Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado? I have not, but the trailer is really good, and Del Toro has a really sick moment in that trailer. Nice. Okay, so we did... I I wrote in here I wanted to know your thoughts on Villeneuve, but we kind of hashed it out, but what are some of your like favorite films of his? If you have a ranking, if you don't, just spitballing i did end up ranking mine but yeah 
Um, well, why don't you say your rankings? I'll let me say my rankings first. Okay. So I wanted to preface by saying I have not seen Blade Runner 2049 and I have not seen Encendi. So I'm missing two big ones. Number five, I'm going to put Sicario. Um, nice. Four is Enemy. I think that movie is wild crazy. I want to know so many more things about the spider. That's that's all I have to say on that. Um, three is Arrival. Truly one of my favorite movie experiences ever is seeing Arrival with you and both of us just being like, so like some cinema is like just different, right? <laughs> like, holy <laughs> like, that's shit. What, that that's was what crazy. This is. <laughs> yeah. Um, number two is Dune, a movie that I went into with no information about the Dune universe just to see if like he could pull it off for people who knew nothing about the lore. Um, I think I saw it two or three times in the theaters. I was gripped. So good. And number one is Prisoners, one of the most uh, terrifying films I've ever seen. Um, some of the things that they do to uh, Paul Dano will never leave my brain. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, I don't. It's just it's. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. there. <laughs> um, it's 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 funny because Denis, Denis either has like his movies are either like look at these really big ships land and take off and it's really cool. Or let's see if some people do some of the most sicko shit you've ever seen. Yeah. I haven't seen Prisoners and I also haven't seen Enemy. I bailed halfway out um, because the, the the spider stuff freaked me out. This, uh, the spider stuff just like isn't explained. Right. When, he, when the spider walks by Jake Gyllenhaal in the hallway and I'm like halfway on, in on Jake Gyllenhaal like in general. Yeah. I was like, you know... I'll try this another time. My list of the ones I've seen, uh, I've only seen four Denis movies, but I'm at four. I'll put Blade Runner 2049. At number three, a little bit of a shocker if you've listened to the show, is Dune. I'm surprised Dune is so low. Um, but that's just a testament to the next two, which number two, I have Sicario. Um, and number one, I have Arrival. Um, again, a special movie, best Amy Adams, I think. Um, and just uh, one of those... Just one of those movies that I think really uh, it was a like Rosetta Stone toward us loving movies um, as like from college to adult. Um, and like I rewatched it at some point last year, like wondering if I had overblown it in my estimation because of when I watched it. And I, I think it still hits in even different ways than it did the first time when I was just uh, mesmerized by the story. But can't wait for Dune Part 2. I assume it'll be one of my favorite movies of 2024. I just, Dune 2 is so clearly primed for me to love it. Like, beyond the fact that I love, like, the Dune book, just the people involved. It's like, oh, who else could they add to make Zach love this more? Florence Pugh? Like, you know, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, they really just... <laughs> it's truly like, there for oh, you. like, Denis, like, what have you wiretapped in my, like, server's... <laughs> I usually deny all the cookies, but he's probably figured it out anyway. That's so funny. Okay, cool. Denis Villeneuve, one of our best. Yep. What a guy. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say or have questions about or anything? Do you have a favorite like Taylor Sheridan project? No, I don't know many okay. of them. That's I'm fair. so sorry. <laughs> um, no, that's okay. He, it's it's a lot. I'm not in the television Sheridan verse, so. <laughs> I'm actually not a Yellowstone or Yellowstone adjacent watcher. Um, but his movies are sick and I think you would enjoy them as a person who loves like people doing some sicko shit sometimes. But I just wanted to last comments on this movie for me. Like I love the, how the information is hidden, um, and, and reluctantly revealed from Brolin and, um, Del Toro, lots of like 
stolen glances and like mm-hmm. unspoken are we sure this is okay um i think the chemistry between emily blunt and daniel kaluuya is really fun um in another like universe in another movie i would love to see them play partners again yeah i would love to see them just be in the same movie again yeah it's great that like two solid american accents two of our best actors i think i'm on record saying that daniel kaluuya is probably my favorite actor working right now yeah um and it's so funny that he's just like a bit part in this film and uh like even just the scene at the bar when they're just like shooting the shit yeah it's so good lovely just pleasant and uh, speaking of the bar love that john bernthal just shows up i love when bernthal just shows up to play like a charming but probably threatening type of guy i love john Um, bernthal in general i also enjoy the lack of exposition um and just allows you to be rewarded by paying attention and that's a uh attribute of a taylor sheridan script is um a lack of expositional dialogue yeah um, which i can appreciate would you watch this movie again i would if i was like watching all of like denise movies or like watching like I don't know if I'm like trying to watch like all the Daniel Kaluuya films or like something like that. Um, but I think I get so much content about the border in my <laughs> real job that I don't love to watch more of it. I think this is might be the darkest movie that I enjoy rewatching. Like this might be my girl, the dragon tattoo. But that's totally fair. Well, if you like this movie um, and want more like it, uh, here's a few. We've mentioned a couple of them. Uh, Hell or High Water. Um, that is the Taylor Sheridan written joint directed by David McKenzie, starring Chris Pine and Ben Foster, uh, and also Jeff Bridges. We mentioned No Country for Old Men. Shout out to Josh Brolin. Another story that takes place in the same region and kind of has not as aggressive vibes, but similar. And then the last one, uh, I thought of this when they were not telling Emily Blunt what she was getting into, what they were when they were not telling Kate Marson what she was getting into is training day oh yeah (laughs) and uh the way that the people who are supposed to be guiding you are actually not reliable and actually just using our protagonist our way into the story um as a way to pull off a devious plot shout out to our denzel pod (laughs) we should do another denzel pod i mean yeah obviously (laughs) all right uh let's start to wrap up I feel like this would be a hard one. Which movie would Louis love more? I also think this is a hard one. Our beloved soft-hearted vampire. I think he would like Memento because he would be like, ooh, new filmmaker. This is really cool. I wonder what else he'll make. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be like, oh, innovative storytelling. Um, he He got season tickets to Christopher Nolan really early. Yeah, I think so, too. Amazing. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> Great job by you. Uh, although I would say that he, Louis also would have season tickets and has seen Denis Villeneuve's early stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He likes a foreign film, I bet. Yeah, he was definitely in the art houses. Um, I mean, he speaks, he speaks French. Denis Villeneuve is French-Canadian. French. Probably saw his French films. I think it's good. But he might have bailed once he got to Prisoners. That's true. I do not think he would like prisoners. <laughs> Though it is about it is about doing whatever it takes for your daughter. Okay. Well, you know, he does appreciate a father and a daughter. God. <laughs> um, all right. So now that we figured out which movie our beloved Louis DuPont de Lac would love more, what next movies are we talking about? So we're doing some like adaptations. That's probably our most vague 
like title that we've done. Um, but yeah. I'm gonna have you watch August Osage County, and I'm gonna watch The Natural. What do you know about that movie before we get started? Um, it's an adaptation. Yes. Of a play. Yes. Um, and I think Meryl Streep is in it. Correct. That's all I know. Is it a musical? No. Okay, cool. I recently watched this movie called Jingle Jangle, a Christmas movie that came out in 2020. Did not know it was a musical. Oh, well, Jingle Jangle. I don't know. It's a Christmas movie. It could have been anything. That's true. Famously did not know Moulin Rouge was a musical before I watched it. that's tough. (laughs) Yeah, that was was an experience. But then I said, come what may. What do you know about The Natural? So, so good. Um, I don't know anything about The Natural. I like have maybe never heard of it. So... I am excited. Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. It is a baseball movie, just so you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love baseball. I know. <laughs> this is going to be <laughs> How great. How can you not be romantic about it? It's going to be yeah. good. August Osage County is not a baseball movie. Cool. <laughs> I'm excited to see if you can figure out what the adaptation is of. Okay. it's like not like, I don't think it's a book. Oh, it is. Well, but like the story, the way the, the movie is told is. Yeah. Separate from the thing that it's actually adapting as well. Okay. So. Yeah. Mine's like a, a one-to-one. Cool. And yours Sweet. is not. Okay, cool. All right. Well, uh, we're going to be watching those movies. What else is on your watch list, Zach Bacalab? On my watch list, I'm going to do Liberto, is The Iron Claw. I'm about to go see it probably in an hour um, because in a couple of days, we're going to do our Favorites of 2023 podcast with our good friend Maya, and I want to knock out that one before we record as well as ferrari michael mann what's up heat ever heard of it injected into my veins can't wait to watch it and then on the non-2023 slate the killers it's criterion just released in ava gardner collection and so i want to see her in that film so that's on the docket what about you amazing i did like that you mentioned a pod we're recording in two days, despite when people are going to listen to this, it will have happened a week ago. And I think that's perfect for this episode about Memento. <laughs> <laughs> Am I chasing this guy? Is he chasing me? Exactly. Have you recorded that pod or what's happening? <laughs> what's well, real? All right. Um. So I spent a lot of the end of December, I think all but one movie that I hadn't seen before was from 2023 so i want to get back to my like non-modern films um so i i want like i'm there's an entire there's entire catalogs of criterion that i just completely missed um so i would love to go back and watch some of my non-2023 films um get back into my older movie blind spot game um but the current films i want to see are la camera and eileen both from neon um i want to those are like being talked about right now so i want to pop them in i need to see eileen as well but big uh thomas and mckenzie supporter yeah. and need to see if she can hold her water against anne hathaway i'm a big like anne hathaway is playing a sexy lesbian that's like maybe dangerous oh yeah that's speaking cool. of femme fatale yeah so uh i'm excited to see both of those films um all right well thank you guys so much for listening um obviously this episode came out on a different day but generally you can find a new episode of the podcast on the second tuesday of the month welcome to 2024 we are so excited pod is turning three this year 
We're going to be seeing more movies than ever before. We're going to have our Oscars pod in a few weeks. It's going to be great. God, I don't know if I can watch more movies than ever before if I already watched more movies than ever before again. That's the goal every year. Watch more movies than ever before. (laughs) She died doing what she loved, watching more movies than ever before. (laughs) 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 All right. If you want more of that nonsense, follow the podcast on Instagram at BlindSpottersPod and on Twitter at BlindSpotters. Zach, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ZachPocklip. And as always, you can find me on Letterboxd. I have probably dropped my favorite movies of 2023 list on Medium, um, which I've probably linked on either or both of those social media networks. You can read them debate me or just praise me either way give it a read give it a click or don't i don't know live your life but um my long ass list will be there as well as um discussed on the pod that you have hopefully already listened to with one maya petros and amanda liberto where can people find you online (laughs) speaking of amanda she's still here no people can find me across all platforms at amanda liberto send me any compliments uh, let me know how proud you are of all the films I watched this year. Um, and just tell me I'm doing a good job. That's all I ever want. I'm, this was a really fun swap, and I'm very excited for a whole new year of swaps. We have some very fun bonus episodes planned. It's just going to be good shit all around. 2024? Yeah. All right. Bye. It's the land of wolves now. Bye.